Fall Asleep with Henrik is a most wondrous and enchanting podcast, intended to lull you into a deep slumber. Know that you need not exert yourself in listening to the words, for each episode is fashioned after a dream, wherein coherence waxes and wanes and twists and turns. Be not overly concerned with its meaning, for it simply exists for what it is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there and welcome to Fall Asleep with Henrik, a podcast that's specifically designed to help people fall asleep. I'm your host, Henrik, and I'm just an ordinary person from Sweden. Fall Asleep with Henrik is actually the English version of the Swedish podcast with the same name, which has been helping hundreds of thousands of people in Scandinavia fall asleep since 2018. The Swedish word somna means fall asleep. And it's become synonymous with a unique experience that only Scandinavians have come to know. And now, that experience is available to the English-speaking world. But what makes this podcast so special? Unlike traditional relaxation or meditation podcasts, Fall Asleep with Henrik doesn't use visualization techniques or deep breathing exercises to help you relax. Instead, I'll be talking about random things in an improvised and often illogical manner. The podcast's main goal is to provide a distraction for listeners who are trying to fall asleep, be creative, or do boring, repetitive tasks. The content isn't meant to be actively listened to, and you're encouraged to let my voice become your jumbled thoughts for a while, without worrying about paying too much attention to the words. The podcast's moral, if it has one, is to remind you that life is unpredictable and often illogical, but that's okay. My own unique tone, combined with my improvised and often nonsensical content, is meant to create a comforting and carefree atmosphere that helps you unwind and drift off to sleep. 
just a heads up. This podcast is a transcribed version of the Swedish podcast, which is entirely improvised. I very rarely correct mistranslations or illogical passages in order to maintain the authenticity of the Swedish version. This means that you can expect a similar level of improvisation and randomness in each English episode. Welcome to Fall Asleep with Henrik, your dreamy dubstepper, your lullaby, lair in the night. I'm Henrik and you're Somna, and that's how it is. What happens, happens. And right now, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's begin. Hi, Somna. I just... I just sat down in the armchair and started my clock to set a timer for an hour. And when I looked down at my watch, I also saw the rest of my body. You know how it is when you look down? What color are my clothes, actually? It's been a while since I looked... It's been a long time since I looked down at all. What color are my shoes? It's been a while since I looked downhill. Actually, that was a song I wrote when I was a young adult and thought I had written the truest thing that had ever been written. I see now that it isn't, but... Um, with some kind of modification, maybe... But at least I saw what color my clothes were then. And now I'm going to tell you what color they are. I'm wearing them right now, and I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. I'm wearing a pair of gray socks, and that's because I'm cold. My feet are constantly cold this time of year. My feet and hands are always like little ice cubes. I feel like a little old lady shuffling around with different heat-inducing accessories hanging over my body like heavy, heavy curtains. I'm like a... And that was a nice image. It's not related to this, but... You know, like in empty houses when you put old blankets or curtains over the furniture so they don't get dusty. You could be like that, but with your emotional life. Dust-covered sheets on your soul... That's how it's been for me these days. I feel like I've had a veil over my emotions for a while. And then it's like someone has lifted that veil. I've been trying to write, I should say, about what I'm going to do, going back and forth about the show. I'm going to do a show here in Sweden. And uh, so I still don't know what I'm going to do. And... I'm back home now. But it wasn't the same house in its misery. Don't know what that means, though. That's how it is. When you work so intensely on something that maybe requires more energy than you're used to. 
So it's like someone is pulling away the veil from my emotional life. Suddenly everything becomes very exposed and fragile and ugly, you know. So before you rush off and crawl along the church aisle, I usually say that if you haven't crawled along the, the aisle in a church, like a worm, then you haven't lived at all. If you don't know me, you don't know if it's true or not, what I just said. And those who do know me know that this is exactly the kind of thing I usually say. If you haven't thrown raw eggs, crawled along an aisle and played in the snow on Midsummer Eve, you haven't lived. Sorry, I'm a little scattered. Anyway, it's been very... Well, I felt very fragile before, to be honest. I've wanted to curl up into a ball and protect myself from the world, life, the universe and everything. So, that's how I felt tonight. A little like going out with too little clothing on. Or a little too early in the spring. A little like going out with too little clothing on. A little too early in the spring. Now I'm going to continue telling you what color my clothes are. I'm wearing some black sweatpants. That's my go-to outfit when I work from home, which is usually... I used to have a pair of grey sweatpants with me in that small city that I wore around the hotel. And then one evening when I felt like I'd done well, when I'd gotten a lot of text out, I went to the movies and saw the new Ant-Man movie in 3D and snorted and laughed and everything at the same time. And then halfway through the movie, I realized that I was wearing sweatpants. And then it struck me that I had probably never done that before. I'm not a sweatpants person in public. I can't really get away with it. Like I had never really moved around in any kind of urban environment in sweatpants. So that's how it is. And then I'm wearing a dark blue Patagonia sweater that's very comfortable. Although a little worn because I wear it all the time. On my head, I have hair. I guess I'm like most people in that sense in that I have hair. I'm not saying everyone has hair. I'm just saying, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know if you could describe me as blonde. When I was little, I was really like that. Really, really blonde. And I was until I was 18, 19 or something, and then it became seasonal. So in the winters now, the autumns and winters, I look very, I mean, it's dark blonde, like straw colored. While in the summer it becomes sun bleached and I think that's aging. That's what most people with this type of hair like mine think. I have thin, wispy hair. The individual hair strands are about one nanometer thick, which is really tiny, not even visible to the naked eye, I think. So I can't really explain exactly how big or small a nanometer is, but it's small anyway. Not compared to the rest of me. I'm quite small, I'm pretty, I'm pretty short. 
People who have only seen me in pictures or just heard my voice when I meet them often tell me that I've always thought that you were taller, they say. Now I measure one meter and 72 centimeters above sea level, or maybe I should say above the sea. It depends on where I am. But if I see myself, if I'm standing by the sea, then I'm one meter and 72 centimeters above sea level. So let's say that. Others are more surprised by how tall they are. They act surprised. Oh, I was taller than I thought I was. I thought I was 40, 50 centimeters, but I'm actually very imposing. I've always had a complex about my height. I've always thought that maybe there's something missing in me. Now, before you crawl along the aisle and rub your cheeks, your cheeks of feelings, hard, dry, determined on the frayed church mat, frayed, rough as it is, uncompromising. So, so I just want to say that I like myself and I really want to make that clear now. Because sometimes I hint that there's a kind of dissatisfaction with myself here. I like myself. I have come to understand that it, me or no one, that I have no one else. If you exaggerate it, I mean, maybe there are others around. But, but if I don't like myself, then who will, you know? So, if I betray myself, then there is really no defense line left against the world and against the circumstances. So that's it. It's a bit like you have to be there for your child. A little bit like that with yourself, too. Don't you think? It doesn't mean you have to love everything you're doing, no. It's hard to do that, I think. And sometimes I can feel that. Sometimes I can't stand spending 24 hours a day together with this guy who is me, because it's... It's extremely demanding. It is sometimes completely draining, socializing with me, that is, for myself, I know, I can't answer for others. I have always thought that I'm too small. Throughout my life, I have been told that I am small. It's bad. Henrik, the small one. But this self-image was challenged when I started lifting weights about around 2016. Midlife crisis and all that. I've always been little, little Henrik. Then Henrik suddenly became, by some standards, normal-sized Henrik, which felt huge. I don't feel nearly as exciting and exotic anymore. I often thought of myself as some little elusive little fairy before, and now I was just some normal-sized middle-aged heterosexual guy who was walking around muttering to himself, normal-sized. It was boring, but... Everything is fantasies anyway. Because it doesn't really matter how you are predisposed. Regarding carpets. So there is something about certain materials that is 
It takes my breath away when I think of them. Such a material is granite or marble. It's something that is really hard stone. I think it's granite. I also think I talked about this with someone this summer, but now there's something about this. The uncompromising qualities in unpolished, untreated granite. Inside the Royal Dramatic Theatre in Stockholm, where I worked in 2003, a long time ago, in the areas around the big stage, there are such hard, shiny granite stairs that you believe that granite can be marble. And it is probably marble. And as a stone, speaks to me in more than one way. I'll start with the negative, and then we'll take the positive, so that I don't leave you sleeping with bitter aftertaste. I'll start with the negative. The negative is then that it is a kind of uncompromising material, and I'm so small and fragile and weak that I've always felt I feel like glass. It's like my mobility and fragility are accentuated when I walk in such a staircase. It's like my, my little shoe, which is a small barrier between me and this cold, uncompromising staircase, is like an illusion, a chimera of protection. And the thought that if I were to lay down on this staircase, lay my fragile little body on this uncompromising stone, the material would... I would just break. But there's also something positive about it. It's a reminder that I am small, but also strong in my own way. That I can face the challenges that come my way, even if they seem insurmountable. And that even though I may feel vulnerable at times, I can still persevere and come out on the other side. So, to sum up, I like myself even though it's not always easy. And I have a complicated relationship with certain materials like granite and marble. But ultimately, it's all about embracing who I am and finding the strength to face whatever comes my way even if it's an uncompromising staircase. It's a bit like that because the stone is like that. It doesn't care, you see. It doesn't give under me. It doesn't catch me. It's just there, like a, like a stone staircase. It doesn't care about me. I don't think so, at least. And if you're having a bad day and you walk up that staircase it becomes extra clear how little it cares. I feel that way about the entire Royal Dramatic Theatre, actually. It's not so much about it being that particular building, even though that plays a part, of course. Now that the Royal Dramatic Theatre has become an example, it represents something that most stone buildings represent, which is uncompromisingness. It doesn't matter if I run and hit my hands against the surface, it doesn't care. If I cry and press and rub myself against the stone surface, it just stands there. 
It's not like it resists with all its might or anything. It's just so uncompromisingly strong, so unyielding. For me, that is. Me, I'm just not relevant in relation to this uncompromisingness. And it bothers me. I like when there are things around me that I can affect physically. I can run straight into a wall made of wood and leave marks on it. But there are also uncompromising wooden surfaces. Like old, heavy wooden furniture, mahogany and stuff. That's also uncompromising. But not in the same way as stone. But with that said, I'm also incredibly fascinated by stone. Especially those stones where you can find old fossils like trilobites. Uh, how many trilobites? Coffee? No. How many trilobites? Do you have trilobites in your coffee? Everything is possible for those who don't know what a bitter video is. They're 250 million years old. Remnants of life before humans and before any mammals existed. It's, it looks like little candy cones, often with hands. And you can find these remains usually in old buildings with the same uncompromising stone staircases. I don't know if trilobites are the correct name. That's what I was taught when I was little. I wonder what those forms were. They're old animals, my dad said. Old animals that lived millions of years ago. Every time I step on one that's etched in the stone, I get a bit smarter. Because it's not really the actual animals. If you were to cut out the stone, then it would just be, or no, maybe it's a stylized part of the sediment, like ours. Would I get out the shape of the animal, or is it just like a photograph of a completely flat cast? According to, is it like a photograph of the animal, or is it the actual animal? Could I find a stylized nervous system in there with the right kind of technology and... Anyway, that it's incredibly exciting. Every time I step over like this, I think it's still amazing that I can walk here. 250 million years later, 300 million years later. And look at this little animal. I mean, it's a time that we don't really have any knowledge about. Except for secondhand sources. And by secondhand sources, I mean assumptions. We can calculate with the help of fossil finds. Mathematical models. How it was then. But otherwise, we know nothing, really. And yet, we can walk here and see. So, while I think these stone surfaces are so relentless, merciless, especially if you're not feeling well, it's also a fantastic opportunity to reflect on something that stretches a little further away from where one nose ends. And there I described life. Life is also exactly that, 
relentless and tough, but at the same time deeply fascinating, right? Maybe I shouldn't talk about trilobites all night. That might be a bit... lonely from a different angle, considering I don't know anything about them. They were like octopuses, right? And then they had shells that were like little cones. I can imagine it must be so cramped to be one of those trilobites, at least one like I sometimes imagine them. And in this cone, the octopuses live in the same, I guess it was an octopus that had like a body, like a lobster, and that the lobster part of the octopus was covered by a part of a shell and an exoskeleton. And before you rush off and scream from the church tower that I don't like it when you talk about octopuses like they're here. I just want to say sorry, sorry. But it's not an octopus, is it? It's a trilobite, and octopuses have no exoskeletons. Octopuses are just soft parts. They have nothing anywhere. Isn't that the thing with octopuses? They have no skeleton. You can't find an octopus with a skeleton. <laughs> that was really weird. But I've always thought it seems so uncomfortable to live in a cone. Imagine living in a cone with your feet in a cone that you stand in. And they wedge together at the bottom there. Because a cone is by definition something that is quite narrow at the beginning and widens as the body continues, so to speak. So you have to stand with your legs crossed to fit in the bottom and the cone, and then it's very tight around the hips and upper body, and then arms, and there you are free. And then you can crawl forward. Imagine if we were like that, we humans, that we had a cone that went from the top of the body, so we only had our arms to communicate with. Well, there you have it. A bunch of people crawling on their elbows and the strong ones walking on their hands. Movement as usual. With their laundry. Some higher off the ground than others or dragging on the ground behind them. It would be a different image of a city when slowly walking home through town crawling through town. And it wouldn't have been anything strange about that because it would have been the normal way to do it. Isn't it just like smoking? All the people on planet Earth does it. They crawl and smoke. What do you do when you want to walk slowly through town this season? Wearing a cone But they all are, they are all the wave of bicycles everywhere and all the other companies that rents out their electric scooters. I imagine how a cone person would crawl home through town and get hit by one of the men, some 25-year-old dude on an electric scooter. I mean, I have never before, never encountered anything that collectively arouses so many emotions as this. Electric scooters in cities. Now, before you rush off and talk about me as one of them, I want to say that 
that I have no particular feelings about them. Well, I do. I do get some feeling when I see the electric scooters and its riders. They are younger than me, mostly. Men. They are usually quite dressed up. They often ride very fast and are often very dressed up. And that with regard to the mercilessness of the material around us, asphalt and concrete, you know. So sometimes I think, yes, my thought immediately jumps to the accident and it makes me very emotionally touched because he's so well-dressed and clean and the world around him is so harsh and merciless there and the speed he maintains is so high and his preparedness for a disaster is so low. I just imagine what a mess it will be and it makes me very emotionally touched. I can't shake it off just like that. Then it's like the accident has already happened in my head. And it bothers me. It's not just about electric scooters either. It's about everything, right? My whole life is that I often see the disaster and I'm and then it has already happened in my head, even though it hasn't. So that's probably the only feeling I have about these electric scooters. But as soon as you bring them up with someone and talk about it, I know that it's not just in Stockholm that they exist. It's a wondrous thing, isn't it? The fact that a human being can be so provoked by something as mundane as an electric scooter with the only motivation being that they, quote-unquote, ruin the cityscape or create an unsafe traffic situation. But no, these are invalid reasons to feel something. It's not the purpose of life. I don't know what is, but it isn't that. It's just another part of the world that sometimes bothers and sometimes doesn't. And I should be able to when I see these guys in their suits riding past on their way to the next meeting or something. I should be able to feel how wonderful it is to feel the wind in your hair and so elegant on two wheels navigate through life. The ones who are the angriest about electric scooters are guys my age. They, they often, not always, but often, have their own vehicles, usually then on bicycles. I cycled home one day on one of those fancy bikes and then two teenage girls came by on an electric scooter. They were riding together and they were going the wrong way down the bike lane. And that's a serious offence in Stockholm, not a real one. I don't think there's probably some kind of penalty, but but it's more of a blank page. But that's what it looks like if you're cycling in the opposite direction. Especially if there are a lot of people. Then you can really, really get verbally abused. And sometimes more than verbal too. I've heard stories, and this is one of mine. Men my age, 
on bicycles following the lane like it's a religion. So there was this man on a fancy bicycle in front of me in the lane. Maybe I remember this because I could feel a connection with him, but I didn't really... I'm scared of him. And the likes of him. And that's the sad thing about that type of person. That he usually elicits fear. I don't understand why, really. He rings his bell initiatively. So irritated all the time. At us all, the rest of the bunch. He hates us because we're in his way. It was summer. And the tourists in Stockholm don't know where the bike lane is, so they walk right in the middle of it and that's... He gets furious. He rings the bell all the time. I can see on him that he decides now he's just going to ring all the way home. Just to make a point. And then these two girls on the electric scooter pulled into the wrong bike lane towards us. And I saw... He sees them and that they're in the wrong lane. And he tries to hit them. He tries to ride them down with his bike. And I got so upset that I... I think I... I have to... Yes, I have to stop this, but... I don't dare because I'm afraid of him. Instead, I cycled after him and glared at him. But he couldn't see me because he had his back to me. What happened when he tried to run into them was that they almost fell off their scooter and he almost fell off his bike. So he kind of bit off more than he could chew. Then he stopped, put one foot on the ground and looked at them like it was their fault. And they probably thought so too. They probably thought that it was their fault. And that's what I think is so terrible. Because that accident was completely unnecessary. He wanted to prove to them that this could happen. And what could have happened was that all three of them could have been seriously injured. But as I said, I fixed the situation by following him on my bike for the remaining kilometers. Staring at his back. So, I saved the day. I could hear myself sighing with relief. It was good that I was there to step in and save the situation. Sometimes it feels like us humans are a never-ending choir that just repeats the same mantra over and over again, but in different atmospheres and environments. Humanity is a choir, standing on a raft, in a river, and this river flows at different speeds through different environments. Sometimes you're inside a cave where it echoes in a certain way. Sometimes you pass through a narrow passage where the water flows a little bit and the trees grow low and hang over and then the echo is different. What changes the pace of movement, the raft's movements and the surroundings? But we sing the same thing. We may sing at different speeds depending on how the echo hits us back. So we adapt. You can't sing at a certain tempo if the echo is too big. 
because then you lose momentum, then the text drowns in itself. But sometimes I feel, when I, when I encounter obstacles, and how old people complain about young people and young people thinking they know everything, complain about, about the old ones, and we're all alive at the same time. It's like we can't see beyond that. There was a teenager in my social sphere once who said, well, I'm a teenager, so I think I know everything. And it was so beautiful to hear because it was like she broke the wall between herself and the world. And that was pretty cool because it wasn't like that with me when I was a teenager. I knew exactly what everything was and everyone else was wrong. Especially older people. And that young person who sighs in resignation when an old person, old in his eyes, says something. And I can't help wondering if they could perhaps afford the opposite attitude. Why not? It's actually very nice when you allow yourself to be humble for a little while. Maybe don't immediately go to the smallest common denominator, the least resistance. Don't you agree? And as for the elders, why they keep hanging on to the almost letter-perfect idea that it's all over for younger generations, and how they talk about younger generations as lost or helpless, with a kind of arrogant superior worry. And it doesn't match the fact that they're actually our own children, they come from us, they are us. I have to say it. If it was really genuine worry, it wouldn't be so sarcastic and self-righteous. And we talk about, in the 70s, we who grew up in the 70s, we, we had the last real childhood. I keep coming back to this, but I think they're so arrogant, you know. I think they're so arrogant because how can we, just us 70s kids, talk about ourselves like we're so damn good? What kind of secret information do we have? that told us the exclusive answer to the question of what life is, what human inventiveness, resilience, and culture can muster. What have we done to gain such superior knowledge of everything? It's not just us, or rather it's all generations. All generations believe that their generation is the last generation where everything was good in the beginning. I think it's terrible because that's where this constant, somewhat romantic idea of the lost generation has come and gone through centuries, millennia. The epithet is nothing that the lost generation gives themselves, but rather it's assigned by the older generations. Maybe in hindsight, in retrospect, those who were young during the Second World War or the First World War or something, then it's more of a poetic attitude but it's the older generations who determine that the generation below them is lost or helpless for various reasons. And I wonder what that is all about, why we have to give a bunch of people a whole group of each other, why we have such a need to attribute lost qualities to people, why we have to give people the epithet helpless. Difficulties and setbacks are something universal. 
so constantly it's like a grid. On life, or not just on life, it's in life. It's like a one, a something like that stuff you cultivate cells on in a lab. Then you have to have some kind of grid that the cells can grow on to attach to. Then you use something like a small net or I don't know anything. And in this net, you then cultivate cells that eventually grow and become something. What you're going to cultivate cells for and... Huh? But at the bottom, there's that little net grid. The medium that something can grow on. It's like in the very structure of all becoming. Why do we have to? And in some cases, that's how I see setbacks. The difficulty is especially concentrated in some points in history, in some places on earth, for some ethnic groups and some cultures for various reasons. It's like you're putting a little weight on this grid so that uh, it becomes extra accentuated then. For a period of time, which can be long or short depending on where you're looking from. Now I'm preaching, I can get so, but forgive me, but I can get so angry of us all. Now in my mind I use the expression infantile about all of this. Actually that's wrong. I think it's silly to talk about things as infantile because they are in it means childish, right? Human ignorance is not childish. It's just stupid and stupid and childish are not the same thing. Well, that's all for tonight's episode of Fall Asleep with Henrik, a podcast designed to help you fall asleep. I hope my improvised and often illogical ramblings have distracted you enough to help you drift off into a peaceful slumber. As a reminder, I'm just an ordinary person from Sweden. And this podcast is the English version of the Swedish podcast Somna Med Henrik, which has been helping people fall asleep in Scandinavia since 2018. If you're looking for a distraction to help you relax or fall asleep, this podcast is for you. I don't use visualization techniques or deep breathing exercises. Instead, I talk about random things in an improvised and often nonsensical manner. Remember, my voice is meant to become your jumbled thoughts for a while, without you worrying about paying too much attention to the words. The podcast's moral is to remind you that life is unpredictable and often illogical, but that's okay. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more, make sure to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out to me on those platforms since this podcast is still new, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, and sweet dreams.